Welcome to the Dignity and Respect in Action podcast. This series is brought to you by the UMass Office of Equity and Inclusion and features members of the university community and other experts in the fields of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In these episodes, we'll learn about the work and experiences of our guests and gain insight from their expertise. Your host for this podcast is Dr. Nefertiti Walker, Interim Vice Chancellor of Equity and Inclusion and Professor of Sport Management in the Eisenberg School of Management. And now, here's Neff. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Daria, the Dignity and Respect in Action podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Neff Walker. Today, we're kicking off a special series of podcasts for Black History Month that will celebrate the Black experience at UMass. I am pleased to welcome our first guest of this series, Gregory Thomas, Executive Director for the Berthoom Center for Entrepreneurship, lecturer at the Eisenberg School of Management and UMass alum class of 1991. Welcome, Gregory. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So I'll begin with the first question. I want I would love to start off with an introduction. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to UMass Amherst, besides the titles that I've already shared with our audience. Yeah, those, those are relevant things. That, that I, I feel like the most relevant thing is um, I grew up at UMass. I, um, I grew up at UMass. I, I moved in and uh, at the end of August of uh, 1986. And um, uh, I feel like I have not left. I feel like I've, I've seen UMass grow over these last, um, um, I'll say few, over these last few years um, um, with buildings and through different administrations um, and different changes on campus. Um, and it's it's been good to experience. Uh, um, so I am a, an alum. Uh, uh, I graduated, um, like I, I like to say, thank you, Laude. Um, you know, I, I almost <laughs> I almost stole my degree, <laughs> um, and I, I left UMass and I, I went to grad school um, and um, matured a bit more and um, did extremely well at Clark Atlanta University. Um, uh, got my master's in uh, business administration uh, and focused on finance and supply chain management and uh, started my career. Started my career at Coke in Atlanta. I worked for Coke and Chrysler and Union Pacific Railroad and maybe a few other Fortune 500s before I landed at, at Corning. Um, and I, I, uh, I career-wise grew at Corning significantly. I spent 20 years with Corning. And then in retirement, somehow I landed at UMass uh, with a job, which I like to say, getting paid for some of the stuff I used to volunteer to do. Uh, so it's, it's quite wonderful. It's quite wonderful when you can um, find a career, um, second career for me, where you're doing the things that you love to do um, and somehow a check comes every few weeks. It's like, wow, uh, this is great. I, I would say we're probably <laughs> the lucky ones to have you and your experience in the corporate world. Um, in Eisenberg, working with our students and discussing the topics of entrepreneurship, I, I would say that we're the lucky ones here. Well, I, I, it's it's extremely rewarding to see um, the um, the students who are who are in my classes and to, to see them grow. Um, I kind of did a new, a new thing this year where I, I made uh, co-curricular programming a part of co-curricular non-credit programming that happens on campus. 
um, a part of uh, the grade for my students. And mm. so 10% of their grade is um, them attending and then writing a summary up of some of the things that we do with entrepreneurship on campus. And I read some of their reports last night and this morning, and I wish I'd have done it earlier because the, the experience that the students get with some of the things that we do on campus, with student activities and the like, it really rounds them out versus mm. just being in, in the classroom and um, writing reports from what they read in the books. Yeah. Um, and so that, that um, it, it, it gives me joy to see the students learn in different ways. That's fantastic. So I want to go back to your experiences here as a student. Can you tell us a little bit of, about the organizations that you were involved with, some of the things that activities that you participated um, with on campus? Yeah, and I, I probably um, that was involved with more than I should. Again, um, um, academics was not my first priority, as um, you know, to my mother's dismay. <laughs> um, but I, I started out on campus. I, I was a DJ um, and did an overnight shift at uh, WNBA, MUA. Um, um, I uh, pledged a fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi. Um, so I am a, a member of Kappa Alpha Psi and a, a charter member of um, uh, the new Tau of Cap Alpha Psi, which is the, the chapter at UMass and in the Pioneer Valley. Um, and so we brought an uh, official chapter uh, to UMass. We were a, a colony out of Harvard, MIT, and Tufts, the Theta Iota chapter, um, before um, having our own chapter. 22 guys um, did the work to uh, get chartered there. Um, and then uh, uh, I did some other stuff informally, right, on the radio, Black Mass Communications Project, which is still on today, and we brought um, concerts here. I remember my freshman year, Eric B. and Rakim coming, being on the stage with them. Um, so it was, I had amazing experiences at UMass that, mm -hmm. that helped me to grow, uh, some positive and, and some not so positive, uh, you know, kind of learning that uh, a friend was, um, was beaten in Southwest for uh, being on the wrong side of uh, a sporting event mm. um, and um, and beaten where he had to walk backwards on crutches across campus. Um, beaten and uh, racial slurs used as he was beaten. Um, and, and friends that, that just left UMass after that because of the trauma for them, uh, uh, for him. Um, and, that experience while I was I was online um, uh, with uh, with four other guys uh, online online means a, a pledging a fraternity mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and and historically black or black Greek letter organizations we call that online when we did that and we um, we with the the brothers that were pledging us and other uh, fraternities and sororities on campus um, and other black organizations like Numo News and BMCP. We came together at the New Africa House with support of um, John Bracy and Bill Strickland and um, um, Rick Towns and um, um, Sherwin Thompson, and I'm sure I'm missing someone's name, and, um, and, and, and uh, told Chancellor Duffy what we wanted. Um, and and uh, luckily, um, Chancellor Duffy uh, was receptive, like I'm sure Chancellor Subhaswamy would be, um, and he listened to us. But then, it was national news, and um, um, some of our fraternity brothers were were on the um, the, the uh, um, uh, 
national news. Um, I, I remember Donahue's show and a, a few other, I think Donahue was different then than he, than he is now. It wasn't um, um, tabloid. Um, it was uh, real, real news. And, um, and it, and, and it helped us to grow and learn about how to make change and, mm -hmm. and how to negotiate and that um, we were adults. And, and quite frankly, we were the, the campus customers. Mm -hmm. And they, the campus did care uh, about how we felt. And, and out of that, um, agreements were made that New Africa House would, would be for Black students always. And, um, um, and, and, and other, other agreements. Um, I was surprised to see uh, Rich Decree's photo of us marching in the last uh, UMass magazine, um, uh, you know, uh, thinking about uh, 30 plus years back. Mm -hmm. um, no, that that was a, a blast from the past. I didn't know it was in there. And the magazine was sitting on my table. I got an email from another alum, uh, Pierre Bouchel, and he says, "Gee, you're in the you're in the UMass magazine." And I thought it was the picture in the magazine for me as a professor, saying, "You know how yeah. I'm meeting with people now," because there was another picture in there. And I looked, and I was like, "Oh wow, look!" They interviewed Rich, and uh, Rich was a photographer uh, for the Collegian and for mm -hmm. Nimo News, and um, uh, yeah. That was a surprise for me. So, so Gregory, can you, I wanna backtrack for a quick second for those that may not understand if you're comfortable sharing the circumstances of the events that happened to your friend um, and, and also the racialized aspects of that event. Yeah, um, uh, and, and the, the details of, of who and when are a little bit fuzzy to uh, me. Yes, perfect, uh, yeah. I don't remember if it was the, the, the Red Sox and the Mets, or if it was a, if it were the Patriots and someone else, but it was a Boston-based team versus a New York City team, mm -hmm. and if you would imagine how that um, um, played out, um, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, most of the Boston-based teams um, didn't have a whole lot of black players and or mm -hmm. a whole lot of black support, and so it was um, um, just inherent in that the the. Um, the rivalry was almost inherently racialized, mm -hmm. right? Because one team um, had a, a, a less than predominant black um, um, a population in the city, and the other team had a more. And then, other than in, in addition to that, kind of the, the players. But um, uh, I, I think after the game, there was um, just excitement that the the um, the non-Boston-based team won. Mm -hmm. And um, an excitement because of what that Boston-based team stood for, right? It's it, the it idea. Could, it could have yeah. been. Now, yeah. I, I was not actually there, um, so you know, I was studying somewhere. Ha, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and 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 I wasn't uh, quite frankly, I wasn't into sports um, yeah. um, much uh, in my my younger days. Um, I, it, and a, a part of that was um, that the I'm from Massachusetts. The Massachusetts-based teams really didn't excite me, or the mm -hmm. uh, male figures um, that I, I grew up with. Um, and, and so um, that happened, and I, I I think there just there was a clash of um, of exuberance um, that turned bad. Mm -hmm. There was a, a clash of um, I think I, I read a, a Facebook post um, um, recently um uh, of uh, a friend and his post said uh, and it posted the picture that was in the umass magazine um uh back in the day 
protesting against the racist Bostonians who lost a sporting match. Mm. And so that, that, I think that was the feeling yeah. of that event. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm using the word specifically the feeling mm -hmm. because it was, it was emotion and all of it may not have been really factual. It was just, it was, it was yeah. heightened emotion and, um, 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 uh, pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think the things that we um, have seen over the last five or 10 years that, um, Chancellor Subaswamy has been uh, spoken out, um, uh, critically of, uh, with things being written on students' doors and the like. I don't know if I remember much of that back then. Yeah. Um, I, I think the difference between today and, and, and 30 years ago is those things may have happened, but they weren't, um, they weren't instant. There wasn't instant social exposure to them. Mm -hmm. We didn't have um, um, Snapchat or um, uh, well, whatever the, the Twitter. Instagram, There's some new video thing that 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 we do. Um, TikTok. Uh, TikTok. There we did. Yeah. We didn't have TikTok. We didn't have one minute videos of of everything that 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 would instantly stop your scroll. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we had uh, print and TV, and if the TV cameras weren't there. It wasn't recorded. Mm -hmm. It was just it. It could have been recorded in um, in a, a a picture, and someone would have had to have their camera with them. Um, yeah. it, it, so it's just it's it's different how um, things were documented then versus now. Um, I, I would say that things that are happening today happened then. Yes. But how they were documented is quite different. I think 30 years ago, they were documented in people's brains um, and in their psyche. Mm -hmm. and they carried that emotion with them, that pain with them. Today, that's able to be kind of um, a broadcast mm -hmm. to, to globally, and everyone can experience that. I think we all experience the pain of having um, a, a um, what I'll call a, 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 um, a wayward, uh, possibly racist, definitely out of line police officers knee mm -hmm. on an incapacitated man's neck. All right, there's, 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 there, and there's no justification for that. Mm -hmm. Not, not one single bit. I don't care what he did in the past. I don't care what he's done in the future. Mm -hmm. Arrest him, and that's what the court's for. Yeah. Right. It's not up to a police officer to decide. It's not up mm -hmm. to law law enforcement to decide if. Um, if someone's um, guilty, mm -hmm. they get they gather the evidence, yeah, and bring and to, it to court. And to, <laughs> and to it. your point, these these things have taken place. I mean, some of them we absolutely have pictures from, whether it's the civil rights movements or before, to right. document um, that sort of anti-black violence. But certainly now it's it's much easier to document and everyone has a cell phone for the most part and most people have camera phones and most people have now become very comfortable with um, documenting those moments um, of whether it's civil unrest or anti-black violence or anti-Asian yeah. violence now as we saw a right. few days ago on television. So, so thank and, you and, for that. Enough, I, I think a photograph, although it can invoke emotion is different than mm -hmm. a video with sound mm -hmm. where you hear someone crying for mm -hmm. their mother. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen photographs of lynchings, as I'm sure you have, and, and they do tug your heartstrings. Mm 
but a video does it in a different way. Mm -hmm. We have that today. Yeah, yeah. So I think to your point, um, certainly that speaks to how the experiences um, that you had on campus dealing with some of the anti-Black racism might be different from the experiences that our students have today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanna fast forward a little bit and, and talk about, I'm curious about your experiences today as a Black man on our campus. Um, you know, not just as a Black man, but as a Black man that's a faculty member. Um, that's a faculty member in our business school. Um, that's an executive director of our entrepreneurship center. Um, how do you experience campus today? And how might that be different from how you experienced campus as a student? Yeah, and I, um, I think I've, I've um, just, I've, I've traveled the world. I've lived in many cities in the mm -hmm. US and, and um, um, for a short period of time, um, um, even in, in living in Taiwan. Um, Different today, um, I, I I think campus, I mean, and, and you and I have talked about this briefly. I've also mm -hmm. talked about it with the DEI um, executive director at the Eisenberg School. Um, that from a percentage perspective, it feels the same. If when I look at the the student body, and um, I count a hundred, um, there's the potential that in that hundred there may be five blacks. Mm -hmm. Now, when I, I say black, um, black, the pure definition of black, or, or maybe I should say African-American. Um, and, and, and I'd say that's that's troublesome. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was troublesome for me as a kid who came from Tech High in Springfield, Mass, the last class at Tech High, go 86, uh, <laughs> orange and black. Right. And the majority of my classmates were black. My class, there may have been five white kids. Mm -hmm. And I got to UMass and I was like, damn, where do these white people come from? <laughs> that was foreign to me. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, um, but now as a professor, <laughs> I've got um, uh, two uh, classes, two sections of the same class, uh, Management 341, sign up, um, two sections <laughs> of the class. I got 60 students. And I look around the Zoom and I don't have any black kids in my class. And I just, um, it's reminiscent to me mm -hmm. from a different lens um, that um, we've come so far yet we're still the same. This mm -hmm. is maybe how I can, um, can phrase it. Um, and um, um, now if I'll say, I don't know the exact number, so I'll say it feels like to me, Yeah. Um, that we're about the same. I think, you know, if, if I think back in 86, 87, three to 5%, mm -hmm. it, it can't, maybe it's five to 6% now. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole lot more, but the percentage is the same. Yeah. So that means that as a black professor, um, I, I, I don't experience it, the same things. And um, I've had students say to me, it's my senior year and this is the first time I've had a black professor. Mm -hmm. Um, last semester, uh, uh, a student, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying her name, Ileana, she said that to me. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never had a Black professor. I'm so glad you're my professor. And she experienced her class in a different way, learning from me. Absolutely. And, uh, and my TA is Black. That's that's by luck, right? But, but right, and so she had she had a, a black professor and a black TA. Mm -hmm. um, and imagine going through four years of school and not seeing someone leading a class or transmitting information and helping you learn. 
people look like you. Yeah. That's why I, I, it was it was shell shock when I came in 86. Um, and uh, I'd say I've, I've, I've experienced one semester where my class fit the percentages. But in general, since um, since starting my coursework in, in January of um, 2019, uh, it, um, I haven't experienced many um, students who look like me in my class. And, um, I don't know if it, it, it's shell shock or not. I, I'd say it's um, it's disappointing, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is. And I, I, I say all that, and I, I think I expressed it, you know, five, 10 minutes ago, that I, I love interacting with the students and seeing them learn. So, oh, of course. Yeah, I don't mean that in any way that it's not fulfilling as a professor. Oh, um, no. And I think I think certainly our, our listeners will understand that um, we absolutely welcome all of our students, right? right but I right. think the point of emphasis um, in the moment that we're living in right now, in the, you know this moment of witnessing, you know the the killing of George Floyd for everyone around the world to see, um, eight minutes and forty six seconds, right? Um, that we, you know, so I, I think the point is that lack of diversity in the classroom in this moment, that lack of um, diversity and certainly impacts the capabilities of sense of belonging, right? We can do all we want to do as an organization and as a campus and as a community, we can all pitch in to develop a space where people feel a sense of belonging. But the truth is until you're able to regularly see people that um, you identify with, um, whether it's culturally or ethnically or otherwise, it is very difficult to feel completely um, as if you belong to that particular institution. And so I think your points of um, recognizing and acknowledging the, the lack of um, at least Black African-American students in your class is an important one. I also think is interesting because if we think about entrepreneurship, um, this is something that thrives in Black communities, right? I mean, I think about my parents. My mom um, eventually was a, was a school teacher, but started off as a beautician, and she got yeah. her cosmetology license, and she, she opened a salon, and my dad was an entrepreneur his whole life. He had a photography business, and then he, he had a flooring business um, for 30 years, and if I think about my family members, and I'm just one, I'm one black person, right? So I don't, I don't want to suggest that all black people are similar to me. But if I think about my family members and my friends um, and the people that I grew up with, um, all of them have someone in their family who started a business in some particular way or did something creative and innovative in entrepreneurship, whether it was within an organization or whether it was external or whether it was organically on their own. So um, particularly your class, I feel like, is a space where if students know about your class and they understand the content, um, perhaps black students do have a connection and an interest in entrepreneurship, right? right? So. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. And in, in, in my experience is similar to yours with, with family members and my grandfather being a real estate entrepreneur and um, taught, um, taught music lessons for multiple different um, instruments uh, uh, to, uh, Many of the um, the black community who learned um, instruments um, in during that time in the uh, 60s and 70s 
um, um, when he was when he was teaching, and my my stepdad owned the barber shop, and um, so I've I've seen that, and I I brought that to UMass where um, a, a friend and I, Roscoe Robinson, who was in uh, Phi Beta Sigma, uh, the, the Kappa and the Sigma, we got together and we we um, taught students how to interview and created job packages for them mm -hmm. for fee of course um <laughs> but um uh, we, we we were entrepreneurs i mean i, I started my paper route and and, and, and went from a, a 10 person a 10 uh, person paper route to over 200 and and split and then grew it again and that's 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 the innovativeness of the oh i like to say the, the poor kid from the projects you know i i, I, I we we grind and we mm -hmm. get it done and mm -hmm. and i i think um, um having that grind in the classroom um uh, to to mix it up in in groups and, and do projects together yeah it's contagious yeah um yeah that's fantastic so one of the last few questions I want to ask you is, um, what are some similarities as well as differences that you see between some of the racial social justice movements um, of your time when you were a student here at UMass versus um, the Black Lives Move, Black Lives Matter movement of today? I, um, I, I think that um, the movements are are, are 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 cyclical. They go through mm -hmm. through cycles where there's um, there's unrest and then there's calm and there's unrest and, and then there's 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 calm. Um, but I, I think the the underlying similarity um, is we have not figured out how to um, uh, uh, not have unrest and really understand each other. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the today shows and and it's a huge generalization, but there's um, 75 million people who right now are are not happy mm -hmm. um, and 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 want something different, whether that's economic difference or racial difference. They want something different. Mm -hmm. And then there's there's the other side that wants something different. And I don't think um, uh, through this cyclical stuff that we are really coming together. Mm -hmm. I think um, um, listening, true listening and true communication is a challenge in, um, in our culture, mm -hmm. our, in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. It may be globally, but I, I don't know that it is globally. But listening and true understanding when we're different. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and let's just from an economic perspective, if we have difference in how we view um, economics and prosperity and how to implement something that's sustainable. Um, yeah, I, I have my view and you have yours. And I don't know if we ever really truly understand each other yeah. because I don't know if we've been taught how to listen to each other, to empathize with the other view mm -hmm. versus really pointing out what's different in our views and holding on to my difference versus your difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's a good point. Um, I, I appreciate you bringing that point up and I think it's a good point. And I, one of my, um, I guess both concerns, but also something that I, I absolutely adore about generation Z is that they've reached a point where, um, they, are willing to listen, but also understand the power dynamics at place and are and have a sense of urgency for change. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I can I can appreciate that about them is you know they're they're willing to listen, they're not willing to wait. Um, and I think that sense of urgency around change, particularly as it relates to social and racial justice, is what we need. Is what we need to push things forward. So I can I can appreciate their perspective. TikTok or not, I can appreciate their their perspective. <laughs> Um, so thank you. Thank you for this. This has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast today and to hear about your experiences, both as a student, but also now as a faculty member and executive director. Um, is there any last parting words that you'd like to share? Yeah, yes. And I, I, um, I, I'd say that um, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful to you, to the position you have at the university, but for the skills that you bring to that position. Um, the skills, I, I see you as a listener and a bridge maker, and I've seen that in action in my role as the executive director. Um, um, I see how you creatively find solutions to bring people together, um, and, and this, this podcast is, is one of them. Um, it's, it's, it's boots on the ground, it's not theoretical, and you act, and, and that's what we need in leadership roles, more people like you who act, and, and I, I think our chancellor has, has done that. He's brought people who will act, and I so much appreciate having you as an advocate um, for us and for everyone at the university. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. I promise I did not um, put Gregory up to make that last comment. There was no exchange of money involved. Send me I, my check. Yeah, I, I appreciate those very kind words um, because they're important to me and this job is important to me. So, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you.